What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Uh, just wrapped up a series in Pittsburgh. You know how it went. Wasn't great. They lost the series. Uh, again, not particularly playing great baseball at the time. So we're going to do our thing that we always do. We're going to talk about the series as a whole, game one, two, and three, give you a little bit of a recap, a review, and tell you what went right and went rent what rent what went wrong for these teams my goodness that was actually way harder than i thought it was going to be to say but yeah we'll tell you all about the series we also got a prospect report coming for you guys which we haven't done first prospect report of the season felt like it was a perfect time to drop one of those for you we're also going to do the estimate with a little bit of a giveaway coming at you so make sure you guys stick around and listen or watch if you are enjoying here remember if you want to watch the video version of this it will be on the new york mets youtube channel subscribe download the podcast whatever it is Let's just start talking about this, James, because as we know, just didn't win another series. Little bit of a little bit of a snooze fest out in Pittsburgh this weekend. Yeah, not not that much fun. These baseball games. Game one on Friday just became really really bad. That's got yeah. that just got crushed. It started out okay, and then a couple of misplays. Francisco Lindor just kind of like ran to the base before he caught the ball, and then a game kind of unraveled from there. As there was really nothing else to say about that one. He no. took. Lindor also had a good interview after the game. Took took ownership of the play. Just said I I shouldn't, I shouldn't have done that. Like that, I usually make that play. I was frustrated. I didn't apologize to it. McGill also unraveled after that. Just nothing. No, like just nothing got good. The offense was very slow until the very end of the game as well. That was it. That was it. Not a good game. No, not a good game. Uh, Lindor swinging the bat a little bit better in this series. He got the home run in this game as well in game one. They just uh, just didn't play a very good game, like you said. So let's just move past game one. They lost. They got beat. There's not really much else to talk about there. Uh, talk about game two, though, or I guess part of the thing to talk about, too, is Pete Alonso hitting the IL before that game two. Luis Guillorme getting the call up. Steven Nagosik being DFA'd. There was a bunch of moves being made, and you could see immediately that the Mets definitely missed Pete Alonso in this lineup. Yeah, I mean, it's just obvious. I mean, we know. And also, the last couple of years, they flashed the stat. I think since he arrived in the major leagues, Alonzo had missed, like, somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 baseball games since 2019, yeah. which is just so incredible for a guy to be in the lineup every single day and produce the way he has produced. The only time I ever remember him being injured ever, I think, was also his wrist. And that was that was 2021, around the time of that Rays series that yep. the Mets also had a pretty bad series there, too. So. This is he hasn't he's played most of the games that he's been around for. I, don't, I feel like the Mets haven't played that well in the games without him, and it's gonna. I mean, you got a lot of guys you have to band together here, to like find this power surge without him. We've seen Francisco Alvarez get moved up the top of the order. I feel like after being there for three games in a row, seems like he might be there consistently. Tommy Pham hit third on Friday night. He's still swinging like one of the most powerful bats on the team. So again, me and Mike Petriello were right in saying he was a potential X factor with this team. Just want to shout out myself and Mike Petriello for both having that take on this podcast preseason that was cool and it's gonna be all hands on deck and you gotta find a way gotta find a way game two they did find a way a lot better performance all around 5-1 win Francisco Alvarez of course crushing home runs like he does Marcana with some big doubles late in this game Kodai Senga on the mound things went right in this game and you're like oh okay this is a little bit better baseball here this is something that at least we can expect or should have been expecting a little bit more of from the Mets this year yeah, and also they came out on Sunday that there was a closed-door meeting led by Buck Walter before this game, basically voicing frustrations about where the talent level is and how it doesn't match the results that we've gotten from this team. And you guys all know that pretty well just from watching these last couple of weeks. We've lost 8 out of 9. And it seemed like it did give them like a bit of a jolt. It, 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 was, it was a little bit short-lived because then we did wind up not – we did wind up losing again on Sunday. But Saturday did feel like so like a good fortune for the Mets. Sango's Sanga, control was a little spotty, but he still gave the Pirates almost nothing to hit. 
It was cool to see him really feature his color, a pitch that's been coming on a lot these last couple starts for him. He's, he was Mexican a little bit early in the year, and now he's Mexican a lot more. It was something that he was using predominantly against lefties early, and now his last two starts, he's thrown at least 25% of the time, first time in his career, as an, otherwise known as this season, where he's throwing it more than a quarter of the time back-to-back starts. And it's cool to see him use that against pitchers, uh, hitters on both sides of the plate because it's going to run in on the uh, on the righties, away from the lefties. Just if he can spot that where he has to spot it, it's going to be an effective weapon, especially as he still tries to develop his sweepers to kind of figure out where he is with his slider and his uh, his curveball as well. And the ghost fork just was amazing. It was unhittable, as it almost always is. It got seven whiffs on 10 swings. It was hit and put in play one time, and it was about 40 miles an hour off the bat. Yep. So a ball in play that could do no damage whatsoever. These are also through three fastballs above 99 miles an hour. There were a lot of guys hitting velocity highs this weekend in Pittsburgh, so it could have been a hot gun. Always yeah. possible to get a hot gun because it happened consistently, but we're also at the time of year where pitchers are finding their peak velocity as the weather warms, as their arms and their bodies are in like their peak shape because you're finally off of spring training. There's no rust. You're completely in the run of the season. If you see velocity charts for all of baseball for the whole season, you'll see these spikes in June and July. That's kind of where it is when you're like right in your peak form. And Saturday was a, was a good game. was a good one. Yeah, no, I mean, it was nice to see Canna as well, continuing to swing the bat well in the month of June, which has been really, really nice because we definitely need some of that offense, as we know, especially with Pete Alonso out of the lineup now for a decent chunk of time. And I mentioned that Alvarez home run late in the game. He's now tied with Sean Murphy and Salvador Perez for the most home runs by a catcher in Major League Baseball. And he has about 100 less plate appearances, I think, than both of those guys. And James, how old is he again? Just real quick for the people actually- if they forgot. He's actually 21 years old. He's the youngest okay. starting catcher in Major League Baseball consistently in about 30 years. Yeah, so, has yeah, this, just, has this, who was the last guy? It was actually Pudge Rodriguez in okay. the early 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he actually was doing it when he was 19. He was a freak of nature. But yeah, Francisco Alvarez, what he's doing right now, say it again, you got to say it every episode. It's immaculate. Everyone, you get five all-star votes a day. Make sure you're voting for Alvarez. Yes. Vote for Alvarez, number four. It works really well. Vote for Alvarez. And his... uh everyone's favorite thing that happens with a prospect. He finally has enough plate appearances for his savant sliders to have popped up, which is yeah. very fun. Better than league average chase rate, baby. We made it. We're so yes. there, Francisco Alvarez. And he's going to break. People on Twitter are going to be like, do you guys think this is the best catcher in baseball? Because he has a lot of blue dots, which is just kind of stupid that people use a bunch of dots on baseball savants to determine if a player is good or not. But chase rate's better than average. Bow rates, in, I think, about the 75th percentile. Yep. And his max exit velocity is like 96th percentile. The guy is a complete freak of nature. Vote for Alvarez, best catcher in the National League. The guy in the Braves doesn't count. Send him to the All-Star game. Vote for Alvarez, vote for Alvarez, vote for Alvarez. David Robertson, Adam Adovino, shutting it down to end this game. I, I mean, like, I wish we had more to talk about. I'd love to really dive deeper into these games. But the the one win in this one in this series was a pretty straightforward game for us. Yeah. I do want to shout out. I watched a lot of this game on my lap at my cousin's wedding ceremony. Shout out Andrea and Matt. Tyler not dating 13 years and wow. they got married finally. Isn't that crazy? Thir- 13 years of dating. Yeah. Ridiculous. What, and what were you doing 13 years ago? 13 years ago, I was 14. I don't know. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was, I was probably doing unruly things like in the woods, like with water bottles. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I was setting off fireworks, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I was doing okay in school, too. I was, I was playing. That was, like, last time I played organized baseball. Like, it was, it was yeah. kind of fun. But um, shout out, I want to shout out some of my cousin's cousins because they're big fans of the pod. Shout out Jess, huge fan of the pod from, like, early, early times. She said she listens to us like, every day when she goes to work oh, when her Jess? episodes drop. So shout you out, Jess. And Sister Christine, hmm. not as a valuable listener, but still aware, still friendly, and another City Field gluten-free goer. So, Christine, I'll see you. Uh, over over in right field during during the the rest of the season. 
Look at the messed up podcast, getting that female demographic in there. Right. I love to hear that. Circle love up. to hear that. Hey, listen, we we want all people to listen to us. We, we know uh, on the last episode, we had a, a few fans of the uh, other team giving a, a listen few. to the episode. Just a few. Uh, Braves fans really swarmed that last one. Thank you guys for bumping our numbers. Appreciate yeah. it. Like, we, thank you for that. We also had a bit of a seem like a viral moment where a Braves, a Braves account picked us up and, and took, took like a minute snippet of us being really upset, which I mean... Yeah. I don't know more more notoriety more you know, no 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 press is bad press so keep that rolling uh, yeah keep spreading the messed up word around game three now to talk about maybe a little bit more uh, frustration here because it just wasn't really good Carlos Carrasco was fine though he did like enough to very much make this a winnable game for the Mets but the offense just didn't didn't exist in this game. It's a wild subplot of the last month of Mets baseball. Carlos Carrasco has been a perfectly serviceable back-end starter from where he came beginning of the season, which is great. His fastball got up to 95 miles an hour again. Changeup was solid. Slider didn't really get a whiff. He definitely wasn't his best, but he's also yeah. he like he got in a jam in the fifth, and Josh Walker came in and got him out of it, who also touched 96 and looked really good from the left side. It was, again, like it, the Mets also had a quick lead early in this game, but they only wound up with two hits the entire affair. One of them was a Jeff McNeil home run. Three. Oh, three? Three? Okay, yeah. yeah. I missed, I missed the last inning and a half of this one. I was in I was in traffic coming up north in the parkway. I was just bung over, miserable. But yeah, just it's really hard to win a game when you get that few hits. But cool to see Jeff actually have a couple extra base hits this series where he's been a little struggling to really barrel the ball, get into the gaps. Would love to see him get hot here and get just another big time contributor to help with P. Alonso on the shelf. I feel like Jeff McNeil loves playing in Pittsburgh. Every time I feel like they play there, he just has a great series. Maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of that short porch in right field too. But Jeff, Jeff has big games in Pittsburgh. Would have been nice if it, you know, contributed to a few more wins maybe for the team. But uh, at the end of the day, I mean, three hits, it's just really hard to win a game when you have three hits. And we know that the long ball is not necessarily always the favorable hit of the Mets as well sometimes. I know Jeff is from California, but doesn't he just kind of like seem like a Pittsburgh guy sometimes? Yeah, yeah. Gritty, no, yeah. For sure. Loves I salami. Feel like, yeah, oh, <laughs> did you say love salami? Oh, yeah. The Lunchables. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> but, um... We also just again shout out Mitch Keller because I mean we talked about how great he was in the in the preview last week and he's he's amazing like he's a guy yeah. who's going to be an all star he possibly has a shot to contend for the Cy Young in the National League he's throwing that that sweeper it's just it co- it shoots across the whole strike zone it looks like a fake pitch who did Mitch Keller hit last year on the Mets because remember that was like he sort of was kind of figuring out to hit someone in the Mets I think John was telling us it was Starling Marte it was Marte. I think it I thought that was Marte Oviedo though game. no it was Mitch Keller because I remember seeing like Mets fans on Twitter being like this guy Mitch Keller throws 99 of course he's going to be wild and hit somebody on the Mets knock him out and he knocked out Marte mm-hmm. you also mentioned Josh Walker getting in the game which seems like a guy that maybe we could start to see a little bit more usage out in the bullpen especially after the rave review from Buck Showalter after the game Walker pitched what an inning in a third scoreless today Buck said it was a good surprise to see that he certainly looks the part hopefully that bodes well for his confidence in those situations going forward I love the fact that he came right at him. And I mean, it's true. He did go right at the hitters. He didn't look afraid. I don't want to use that word. I don't think any of these guys are ever afraid, but he was very aggressive, attacked the hitters, and he had great performance. No, Josh, uh, John is a huge Josh Walker guy, so I'm sure he's happy about that. Yeah, it looked good. And this bullpen needs more guys to come in and contribute. Again, there was a lot of roster turnover these last couple of games, especially just because how many relievers were used in a lot of these games. So that's just kind of the way that modern baseball is. And you know, you look good. I can't really say like 96 from the left side. It's 96 from the left side. Like that's going to be something that's good. Also really like to see Drew Smith after a couple of bad outings where his breaking balls have been hit a little bit. Remember early in the year was change up. They left a couple of sliders middle, got burned a few times. He threw almost all fastballs in his outing today. 16 yep. fastballs out of 23 pitches, sat 97, got up to 98. 
two miles an hour above his average velocity so far this season. And we remember from our interview with him in spring training that he said he just loves throwing fastball. So maybe there's a good step in the right direction for Drew Smith to be like, I'm just going to just gas guys up again, get back to yeah. get back to my roots. Fastball is really good too. Like even on the broadcast, they've been talking about, they're like, Drew's fastball, that's his pitch. Like lean on that, use a slider like every once in a while, sprinkle it in there. But that fastball is the money pitch and it's been showing in the performance. Last little thing to talk about from this game too. Tommy Pham, your boy, big time Tommy. I know we mentioned him a little bit earlier, but I mean, the old school way, the dude just keeps mashing. I picked him up in fantasy. He's been so hot. He's That's playing crazy. every day. I got to get Tommy Pham on the roster. He is. He looked great. Like, I'm really happy to mess up Tommy Pham right now. There's really no other way to slice that up. Like, he just looks like one of the most powerful bats in this lineup. He's got 817 OPS right now. The only guy in the lineup today with a higher one is Francisco Alvarez. <laughs> the only other guy in the roster with a higher one is Pete Alonso. So, right now, Tommy Pham is on three Mets with OPS over 800. Yeah, no, it's good to see him swinging the bat. Well, hopefully it can spread to the rest of the team, maybe as we come up for the Subway Series here, because uh, definitely going to need some more runs on the board in order to win and beat the Yankees, who have been playing some pretty decent baseball. They're, they're a very good team. We, of course, will talk about that series a little bit more. But first, we want to do the first prospect report of the year. Super excited to talk about this, because if you guys know from previous episodes of the Messed Up Podcast, this is something that you guys always tell us you like to hear from us more. You like to know more about what's going on in the prospect world know what's going on down in AAA, AA, single A with these guys. And they must definitely have some names that you guys at home probably know about, but we're also going to tell you a little bit about some of these under-the-radar names to keep an eye out for. So, James, who do we want to start it off with? I feel like the guy we should probably start off with is Ronnie Mauricio. He's been yeah. one of the most he's – the, he's the Mets' most highly talented prospect who is still in the minor leagues with the promotions this year of Alvarez, Bailey, and more recently Vientos. And – Mauricio is doing things in minor leagues right now that not many other players are doing. First of all, his counting stats are just off the charts. He's got yeah. a 320, 360, 524 slash line, a full year of AAA. That's still just, I believe, 22 years old. I'm going to double check that again right now to make sure he hasn't, a birthday hasn't passed recently. Yep. Yep. Still 22 years old. Actually, only tw only two months. His birthday was in April, so he's a very young 22. He's going to play the whole season at 22. And the average age in AAA is well older than 22. I think, I believe this year it's about 25 and a half, 26. I saw a study that's been shouted out on, um, Rates and Barrels, uh, the Athletics uh, Fantasy Baseball podcast recently, that for as many years as you are below the average age at a level, you should add about 20 to 25 WRC plus to a player's line. Whoa, really? I think that I think it's probably more true of double A, because I feel like double A is a league where there's much more competitive development happening, yeah. as opposed to triple A, was a lot more major leaguers being stashed. So I'd even give him maybe just like, since he's only 22, let's just give him like 60 WRC plus points <laughs> right there. So go from 117 to 177. You're looking at a guy who looks like he could be one of the better hitting prospects actually in all of baseball. He was the first minor league player this year to hit 20 doubles, which I thought was a cool stat. I know how much you of a doubles I love guy double. you are. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and the big thing about Ronnie's that his strikeout rate, which we've talked about a lot over the last few years doing these prospect reports on him, is down to 16% on the year. His walk rate is still held tight at 4%, which I mean, it, that's, that's not a very high number, but that strikeout yeah. rate has dropped from the high 20s, the mid 20s, the last few years. Last year, even 23% 23 in 123 games at double A down to 16% this year. And for the month of May, it was down to 9%. But that was also at the same time as power dried up a little bit. You only hit one home run in the month of May compared to seven in April. So I think that maybe was a little bit of a push and pull with Ronnie a little bit. But even with the home runs going down, he's hitting the ball so hard, so consistently, it's a little bit ridiculous. This is going to be a little bit of a tongue twister. And I got this from Thomas Nestico, TJ Stats on Twitter. He's great okay. for minor league data. I don't know where he gets the data because this minor league exit velocity, swing rate, chase rate, this is lockstep data. This is like Pentagon type stuff. Like I don't know where guys find this data. I know John has some access to it. He might have some stuff for us later, but he, <laughs> he has a 99th percentile, 90th percentile average exit velocity. 
So I'm going to just explain that again. Yeah. Ronnie Mauricio has a 99th percentile, 90th percentile average exit velocity. That means of all the balls that he's put in play, the 90th percentile of those balls put in play are hit harder on average than almost every other player in the minor leagues. Wow. And that has been shown to be more predictive future success than max exit velocity or general average exit velocity. It's that sweet spot in the middle where it's not the single ball you hit the hardest or just the average of all of them. And he's doing that with a much better than average whiff rate. So he's hitting the ball in the minor leagues as hard as newest major league superstar Ellie De La Cruz and recent call-up Joe Adele have been hitting it this year in the minor leagues while swinging and missing significantly less. That's huge. That's huge for Ronnie, who we know. I mean, we saw it in spring training this year. The power is just, it's out of control what this guy can do. So being able to cut down the swing and misses will be huge for his game. Like, he may, he probably will never walk a lot. I think we can just say that pretty confidently now is he'll just never be that guy to have like a 10% walk rate. But if he's hitting the ball as hard as he is, swinging and missing as little as he is and not even striking out, you can almost make that work, I feel like, in a way. You could definitely make that work because there is like a player mold there where you could just be kind of uber aggressive. And like we've seen a couple other like middle infielders come up in the last like decade. Guys come to mind specifically are Tim Anderson, Javi Baez. Those and those names probably make people feel a little weird. But you have to remember when those guys came up and they were like at their most dynamic stage of youth, like how incredibly good they were. And Tim Anderson's guy who's never hit the ball hard. Javi does get a lot of contact. But Javi's chase, his uh, whiff rate's also one of the worst in the league, always. So... He, Ronnie can kind of have that Tim Anderson whiff rate with the Javi exit velocity. That's that's an incredible player right there. And we're seeing it, the hit tool with Ryan Mauricio. That was always kind of the fear with him because he was always so big that there was a lot more swing and miss in his game. That hit tool was always graded very low. Pipeline, America, Fangraphs, wherever you want to see that scouting grade. If he's if he's running a 320 average right there with a, with a very low whiff rate and his strikeout rate's down below 17%, like that hit tool is suddenly really good. The fact that he's getting his bat in the ball that much and he's still being able to hit the ball as hard as he does consistently, this is a high-end hitting prospect here. There's no other way to slice it. And don't discount the fact that he's learning to play two new positions, second yeah, base and left field time. as well, while doing all this in AAA as one of the youngest players in AAA. Big stuff for Ronnie Mauricio. Uh, just just a really talented player, and maybe we'll see him in Queens sometime soon. That would be great. I'd love to uh, see him in the orange and blue at some point this year because the dude can just absolutely swing it. To talk about someone on the pitching side, someone we've mentioned I think a couple times on this podcast, Mike Vassell. Shout out to John and Vito. They got their own podcast now, The Future of Flushing. They just did an interview with Mike Vassell. You guys should definitely go check it out. I'm sure Vito will put a link somewhere, maybe on the screen or in the description or something like that. Really cool interview with Mike Vassell. He was a draft pick back in 2021 by the Mets, and he has done a really, really good job in the minors this year. Just straight up been one of the best pitchers in the minors. 25% K to walk ratio, which is one of the best in all of AA and just like I think it's like third or fourth behind guys like Emmett Sheehan and Connor Phillips, who are kind of like the cool new pitching prospect names that are floating around right now. And he's like just got some really, really good stuff. He's a big dude, 6'5, 220, and he's thrown like 95 pretty consistently. Has a pre- like a really nice slider and curveball to go with it. I mean, I've been watching more and more of Mike Vassell. I've been very impressed with what I've seen. Yeah, something really cool about Vassal is that he's been picking up velocity in all of his pitches since being drafted out of, I believe you said it was Virginia he's got drafted, right? Yes, Virginia. Yeah, his fastball is now, he can find that 96, 97, something he didn't do very often in college. He used to just kind of sit that 93, 95 range. And he's got good life, and he's not afraid to just throw it to a guy. One of the big um, critiques I read in Fangrass prospect evaluation of him was that he's too, he's almost like too willing to trust his stuff and just go middle with a lot of these things because he knows these guys can't hit it. That's kind of just like, that's kind of some dog in him. Like you can't yeah. hit this pitch. And something else really cool that he does is that those slider and curveball have very distinct shapes. 
which I think is a really cool thing. I'm sure not many pitchers in double A have that. He's a little bit older, so it makes sense. He's already 24 years old, but the slider is tight and it's going up to like 85, 87 miles an hour. And that curveball still has some, some sweep, but it still has a lot of drop. And note that they gave Fangraph specifically was that he's not afraid to use that curveball against lefties and put it on people's back foot. So the fact that he is going opposite handed curveballs in double A, like hitters probably can't even can't even catch up to that. Any other changeup he mixes in is still on the way there. That's a ridiculously deep repertoire for Mike Vassell at this stage. And again, that 25% strikeout minus walk rate, which is on par with some of the best pitching prospects in the whole league. And double A is objectively probably the most competitive, competitive yeah. minor league at this point. Maybe, maybe a little less so in the East Coast because on the West Coast, we're seeing a lot of pitchers skip the PCL altogether. We've seen the Mariners specifically skip it with a lot of their high-end pitching prospects the last few years. I, I really think that Vassal, pound for pound, is one of like the, the seven or ten best pitching prospects in baseball right now. Like this, These kind of results in the upper minors at his age and like what does advance feel for multiple pitches, that, that's just the kind of thing that while the stats are incredible as they are, that is something that's amazing. I want to shout out one of my favorite prospect guys on Twitter, Prospect Larceny. He's been high on Vassal. Yeah, it's a crazy name, but he's done, yeah, he does really good name. work. Really good work. He does scouting, but he also does a lot of statistical analysis. And he's been one of the high men on Vassal all the way back since this offseason. And he's been he's been championing him. He's putting out his, his graphics every single time he pitches. He's really good. And I think I really think that Mike Vassal could be could be sneaky, sneaky, a, a really important piece for this Mets team, if not this year, which it seems like it really could be the way it's going soon. We got a couple more pitching guys to talk about here as well. Dominic Hamill, who you guys know from the third round draft pick out of DBU, Dallas Baptist in 2021, just coming off the best uh, start of the season, six innings, nine Ks, three walks. And he had kind of been struggling a little bit at double A, but now after the start, looking good. The fastball shape's looking solid, but, you know, sitting in like the mid to low 90s right now, there's there's a lot of good stuff going on with Dominic Hamill. And we know he was also on the Team Puerto Rico World Baseball Classic roster as a reliever. I don't think he got in a game. But, I mean, to make that roster, you're, you're pitching with pro MLB players. Yeah, and just getting exposure to a lot of pro Major League players who have, one, been like very experienced Major League for a long time, and two, have reached high heights in the World Baseball Classic consistently. So that's a good experience for him. And something that's really cool about Hamill is that he has just a hammer curveball and an amazing slider. Like Also, just like Vassal, two distinct breaking balls at his age and level is really cool. The slider... It's, it's it's one of those dropping sliders. I couldn't get any clarification whether it was like actually no, the gyro thing I've been talking about a little bit, but I know it drops a lot and it's about 80, 82. And then he has a curveball that's just complete rainbow, like total yeah. hammer. And that sits like in the 70s. So even though he is low 90s with that fastball, it's kind of sinkerish. That kind of velocity difference with all three of those pitches makes him makes him potentially a, a legit weapon for like, a, especially like he's being developed as a starter and he should be, but he, he could be a bullpen piece. Seemingly with this repertoire, and Puerto Rico showed us that, like by bringing him onto their roster soon. And it's really cool to have all those together. And I know he is also working on a changeup. So cool to see Hamill developing. Yeah, I uh, I see Christian Scott's on here out of the University of Florida. And you put interesting journey. I want to hear about this one because I don't know his interesting journey. I read about this today because I've been keeping track of Christian Scott, but I didn't really know about this. He's already 24 years old, so a bit old for a pitching prospect who's still in high A Brooklyn. But he got squeezed out of his Florida rotation years ago before he was drafted just because Florida, as we saw this weekend, I mean, shout, out, shout out to Gators. Me and Mark are huge Gators fans right now. Tough. Well, I mean, tough loss well, for the Gamecocks there. That's tough. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's how it goes. And you're facing a baseball juggernaut like the Florida Gators. But Christian Scott got squeezed out of their rotations because they had so many pitchers in that team. So he was came into the draft as a reliever, but the Mets kind of had some foresight. Like, we think we can make him a starter again with his repertoire. So they reconverted him back to a starter, also after missing all of the 2020 season. So it's been a little bit of a slow burn for a 24-year-old, but 
He's cruising through Brooklyn right now with 30% yep. strikeout rate, 4% walk rate, 2-2 ERA, and 50% ground ball rate in 24 innings pitch. His fastball shape is kind of mad. It also might be a little sinkerish, but it's got up to 95-96 consistently, which is even higher than Sat when he was a full-time reliever in college. And his slider is great. It's great at 60, it has a 60 grade in the 20 to 80 scouting scale on fan graphs. And a lot of people said amazing things about it. And he's also working on a changeup and a curve. They're both at least level. They're average right now. So he's rocking a four-pitch mix in Brooklyn, keeping hitters off balance. There's been some tweets going on about him today that, I, don't, I mean, we don't know if they're true or not. But it seems like Christian Scott is a guy at his age and his advanced feel for four pitches could, another guy, possibly could make an impact sooner rather than later. 100%. Last guy to talk about here a little bit in depth on the pitching side. I, I'm going to pull out some crazy names for you guys in a minute, but Blade Tidwell, second round pick out of Tennessee in 2022. One of my favorite pitching prospects in the draft last year. Just a, He's got big shoulders. That's how I like to describe Blade Tidwell. Just a big, big dude. I don't know, I don't know if he's from the South, but he seems like a, a strong country boy by all means. And uh, cool name too, Blade. Blade. You don't hear that often, although I did find out what his real name is. Jansen. Didn't know that one either. No, that's right. He is a Southern boy. He's from Columbia, Tennessee. And he went that to University of Tennessee. Yeah. yeah, he was on Tennessee's powerhouse team last season. And he's another guy who's had a bit of a strange journey. A lot of these guys who are this age right now had weird journeys because of how much COVID impacted development and baseball across all levels, including collegiate. So Blake Tidwell, he just it seemed like he just didn't want to go to college in 2020 because he didn't want the COVID to like screw up a season development for him. And he was a true freshman at Tennessee at 20 years old in 2021. And then was a major piece of their rotation last year in 2022. He had a shoulder injury that kind of cut his season short. So the Mets drafted him high, but he's a little bit younger than most SEC baseball draftees. Usually, people compare the SEC like to the same skill level as Double A. Yeah. So you see a lot of these guys that come out of the SEC within about a year. And we're looking at this with Drew Gilbert right now in the Astros. Like, get you in Double A. Like, let's start, let's start ripping right now. But a little different for Blade because he had this kind of weird development path right now. And he has the biggest thing. He has big league V, though. He's gotten up to 98, 97 miles an hour and a fantastic slider. Great shape, great depth. So the only thing about him is he's struggling with command right now, but I feel like it could be a little bit of similar to what I talked about Vassal before. Tidwell's a guy who's like, I'm just going to throw the baseball and you're not going to hit it. So maybe he's like trying to find these edges a little bit. He's maybe trying to be a little too particular, trying to paint a little bit when he should just be like, man, man, it's pitch, pitch, pitch. But he actually had 10 strikeouts on Sunday in four innings, nice. one of his best outings of the year for Brooklyn. And even though the command has been very spotty, he's walking a lot of batters, he has 60 strikeouts in 39 innings with the Cyclones this year. It's a lot. That's a lot. So it's going to be a slow burn because, again, a little bit of a wonky developmental path for a guy who you would think would be a fast riser from the SEC, but there's still a lot of talent there. A hundred percent. Now to switch it over to the in-depth on the hitter side here, let's talk about some of those big names. First round picks from last year, Kevin Parada, Jet Williams. Start off with Kevin Parada, starting to swing the bat really, really well. We know it's also very weird hitting in Brooklyn. Can't stress this enough that you got to take all the Brooklyn hitting numbers with a grain of salt and remember that because we've been there. You're literally on the ocean. The breeze is blowing completely in. The, the outfield is basically the sand. It's crazy. And you have the cyclone right behind the stadium with all the flashing lights, and it's white, and the batter's eye, Brooklyn Cyclones, we love you. But the batter's eye is just not really blocking out anything. It's not doing a great job. So it's a very, very tough place to hit. The wind doesn't help at all. You're also playing on turf, which is just not a usual place for a lot of, you know, a lot of these guys to be playing in. But Kevin Parada is starting to heat up big time, hitting 327 over the last couple of weeks. I mean, this guy, that's what he's always been told about with him is that he's going to absolutely mash. You don't know about what position he's necessarily going to play, but the hit tool was always through the roof with him. Yeah. And again, want to shout out John and Vito's podcast. 
future of flushing because they shouted out Parada earlier this week, or I guess technically last week. I was listening to this on Monday. He had big three for five day, including a walk off single for the Cyclones. So nice. Go check out that podcast. If you want to hear more about that? But everything everyone just talks about Parada's hit tool. So you guys got he's going to be just a stable, good hitter. Keep progressing through the system, develop that power, get that chase rate better, and just just be a very good player. Nice first round pick. And then the other first-round pick, Jet Williams, has not yet made it to Brooklyn. Still in St. Lucie, but he also is 19 years old. I mean, he's basically a he's basically a baby. He's so young. When you, we're talking about guys who are 19, it doesn't even make sense. They were born in like 2003. A lot of these guys, but yeah, Jet has been playing pretty well this year. It sounds weird to say this because he has a 200 batting average, but his on-base percentage is nearly 400, which is out of out of control to have a 200-point higher on-base percentage than batting average. A lot of good things with Jet, even though the average is a little low. Definitely. And we got some great stats over here, courtesy of John, who has some wonderful statistical access here. Jet has only a 17% chase rate as a 19-year-old in a ball and a 16% barrel rate. So while he is walking a ton, and he's all striking out a decent, like pretty high too, I think those are both hanging out, hovering around 17 18% right now, pretty equal. So that's why that batting average is low and the on-base is very high. Also has a 16.5% barrel rate. So when he is getting to the ball, he is lifting it and he is hitting it with authority, which is very important for Jet Williams. That was a big reason why the Mets jumped the board and drafted him as a as a bit of a smaller player in the first round. We stood next to him for at the time as an eighteen year old, his forearms looked like like a water bottle, like they were. Yeah. Cre- like, he's like he's like really just muscled up, and we heard about how great his grip strength was, how great his exit velocities were. It's a lot, go, a lot of good going for Jet Williams right now as he adjusts to pro baseball. The other young prospect, this one also in Brooklyn, Alex Ramirez. He's doing something that is really, really exciting to see that we didn't see a lot from Alex Ramirez. The guy's walking a ton. He's got like Mm -hmm. a 10% walk rate this year. Again, it's Brooklyn, so the numbers on paper, the counting numbers and the averages are not going to look great. But the fact that Alex Ramirez is walking about 10% of the time, I mean, that's that's exciting stuff. And whatever his height is, is a lie. The dude is 6'10". I don't care what anyone says. We stood next to him at spring training. He did have cleats on, so that gives him like an extra inch. But he was like, I mean, six foot six, six five, maybe at the lowest. Alex Ramirez is listed on Fangrass right now at six three one seventy. I'm going so far over on both of those. Not even funny. I'd probably guess like six six, like two 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 oh five, two ten, maybe like conservatively. He, he's a moose. He's huge. He looks like he would be one of the hottest receiver prospects in the NFL draft right now. He could really go up and get one. It seems like. But Alex Ramirez is doing something very cool with this season in Brooklyn because his second exposure to the level, which is something very similar he did with St. Lucie a few years ago. It's something we've also seen from Francisco Alvarez. He's moved up and down levels. His first exposure to St. Lucie, 2021, he has 6.9% walk rate, 31% strikeout rate. Came back the next year, played 70 games, 9% walk, 22% strikeouts. Got called up in the middle of last year to Brooklyn, 6.5% walk rate, 22% strikeout rate. Now his next exposure in Brooklyn, 50 more games there so far this year. 10.5% walk rate, 21.9% strikeout rate. So it seems like he gets the exposure to the level. And again, he's been very young for the level still. He started playing, playing pro baseball at 18 years old. He's still just 20. And his birthday is in January. So he's going to play his entire season at 20 years old. So there's a chance that Alex Ramirez is going to have exposure to A baseball at 20 years old. And every time he gets that exposure, he comes back and he shows us what he's learned. And he starts to take more pitches and really find the ones he could hit. So be very excited about Alex Ramirez, just physically so projectable. He's one of the, he got one of the biggest... Um, International signing bonuses for a prospect we've had in many years now, basically since Francisco Alvarez. Lots to be excited about with Alex Ramirez here. No, 100%. Now let's start talking about some of these other just random prospects that you guys might not really know about, but are having some pretty good years here and there. James, we're just going to go back and forth. You take one first. Okay. Uh, I want to talk about Matt Ruthick. He's someone who's really rising up through the system right now. We've seen a lot of tweets about him recently. He's just he's hitting the ball really well at double A. I'm correct on that, correct? Yeah, double A. 
304-447-526 slash. That's a 973 OPS. That's a very high walk rate for that 447 on base percentage with a 304 average. 166 WRC plus is the highest for any Mets uh, player in the system, 24 and under. Mark almost had a dirty word in the notes there. I'm very happy I caught that. 13th round pick from San Diego State University in 2021, and he's 5'6". So this is kind of a thing that's happening in baseball now where these smaller players, like shout out my other short kings out there, a lot of command of the zone, a lot of command of the barrel, and you find a way to get that quick contact, compact swing and turn it into power quickly. So Matt Rudick, name to watch. Jacob Reimer is the one that I'm going to name. Uh, fan fan of my YouTube channel, which is pretty cool, and also fan of the podcast. Uh, Jacob Reimer, we met him on the field last year, same day we met Jet when all the uh, draft picks were there and getting to take their pictures and I think maybe even take a couple swings on the field. And he was, like, confused seeing me, which is always very funny. Jacob Reimer, though, off to a really hot start. Uh, another third baseman for the Mets in the farm system. He's not shown much power, but you also have to remember he's 19 years old and A-ball, and if you see his face, he's got a baby face. I mean, he just looks extremely young. 272 average. Another guy with an almost 400 on base percentage, which is something that I love to see. Again, not really much power, but rocking a 122 WRC+, plus, which is great, and that's the 14th highest WRC+, plus in the Florida League for players under the age of 19. So... That's pretty, or 19 and under, I should say. Pretty impressive uh, young, or pretty impressive start for the youngster out in Port St. Lucie. Last one I'm going to take here, Tyler Stewart, who I believe John Vito actually has some content coming out with them, uh, with him this week, right? If someone wants to, to get in the chat and make, confirm that for me. Big right-handed pitcher, 6'9", 250, sixth-round pick out of Southern Miss last year. He's cruising through Brooklyn right now, 30% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. His slider is apparently one of the best pitches in the entire Mets system. Two planes, sweeping, just completely nasty. And his fastball sits about 92, 93. However, it's gotten up to 98 at times. And he is so big, 6'9", that extension, it, while it, just, it still has a lot of run rather than hop and ride, it gets on hitters fast. And it's been pretty hard to hit this year in Brooklyn. Yep, and uh, Vito just told us it's coming out today, actually. So when you guys are listening to this, you can go listen to Tyler Stewart's interview with Vito and John on the Future of Flushing podcast. Again, if you want to learn more about prospects, it'll be a great place for you guys to head over. I got two more names. I'm going to be quick with them. Eli Ankeny. I I probably should know how to say his name. Eli Ankeny. It's tough. There's a lot of just, I don't know how, A-N-K-E-N-E-Y, left-handed reliever alert. Can we sound an alarm or something? Left-handed reliever alert. He's doing something really cool. He's thrown 16 and a third innings in his pro ball career and has not given up a hit to a lefty. He's only given up two hits in his pro ball career in those 16 innings, rocking a 35% K rate this year with a 4% walk rate, sitting around 92, but apparently it has an IVB north of 20 inches, which James, nice. what does that mean? Inverted vertical break. And it will explain maybe to the viewers why that's good. It's basically like the... It's like the hop of the ride you get in your fastball. So you want that to be, I'm trying to think of like how to phrase it like with gravity. Right now. You know, that is that number with gravity? Uh, I don't know if it's with gravity or not. It just says average north of 20 IVB. Great. That's amazing. That's a lot of hop on fastball. Really good life. Cool. That's kind Love of actually 20 is like kind of unheard of, honestly. Yeah, no. So he's, he was from 16, Grand Canyon. 16, 16, 17 is like good. And once you yeah. get higher than that, so he must, does he have a very low release point? Have you seen him pitch? Very low. He is six feet tall, uh, so he's not a big dude. And he that's throws awesome. like from a really low release point for sure. Okay, that's really cool. Yeah, that's like that's like the new wave in baseball right now. That's that's what again persona non grata. Spencer Schrader does really well. He has that super, yeah. and McClanahan as well. That super low release point in that fastball, so it gives the effect of it rising to the hitter. Last guy, Wilkin Ramos. We got this guy in the minor league Rule Five draft from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He might have some stuff in the pen. First off, he's six foot five. Another just huge human that exists in Brooklyn sits around ninety seven with some sink, rocking a twenty eight percent K rate. 
and a 65.6% ground ball rate, which I know you love the K rate plus ground ball rate, James. And that's, mm-hmm. that's gotta be one of the highest right now in the minors. I feel like just in general, he's got a really hard changeup as well. Slider is kind of that vertical slider that you talk about. And it's just cool that it's like, you can get value out of the minor league rule five draft and get a guy like Wilkin Ramos who's shutting down games in Brooklyn right now for the Cyclones. I think that's pretty much it for this minor league report. Uh, you got any other names or are you ready to start uh, maybe bringing in John for the estimate here? Yeah, I'm good. That was a clean 20 minutes. I think that, well, I'd, I'd like to hold that there. We could talk about like 25 more minor leaguers for another yeah. hour and a half, but we can't, we can't do them all. No, no. That's why you guys check out the Future of Flushing podcast for the more in-depth and get to learn about some of these guys. They got some good interviews over there. Go check them out. Let's go ahead and bring in John here for the estimate. Johnny boy, what do you got for us? What's up, guys? Looking forward to uh, seeing you guys in a few days at the stadium. It's been a, it's been a long time. It really oh, yeah. feels like a long time, although it's only been yeah, a week. You're so like busy at work anyway. We don't really hang out that much. Been a minute. It's not true. I can't. I come to the booth and see you guys when I can. I mean, Friday night against the Blue Jays, I did. You did. You, you did. You, you know hung out with the All boys. Right, so. We appreciated it. 100%. 100%. I, I feel like since the hot dog incident last year, James would rather me stay away anyway <laughs> but anyway so yes Mets Yankees uh first of two series obviously coming up at City Field this week uh some really good pitching matchups you guys will get into that a little bit more um but I'll just throw them out there as well real quick Max Scherzer against Luis Severino game one and then former teammates and one and two in the AL Cy Young in 2019 Justin Verlander Garrett Cole in game two so what we're going to do is the Mets won a game this series. So we're going to bring back uh, we're going to bring back nice. a giveaway. So all the listeners, the viewers at home, get involved in this estimate. Um, James now has a three game lead over Mark, which is I do need to put my hand up. I the last estimate was you killed it me. was rough. It was rough for Dolfo Castro. Hardly played. Uh, yeah, it was it was not the greatest one. But hey, we were all kind of in our feels yeah. a few nights ago. So it was just one of those, like, you know, we got a, a Mia yes. culpa for that. <laughs> so I want to know, you guys, listeners, how many combined strikeouts will there be between Max Scherzer, Justin Verlander, Luis Severino, and Garrett Cole in this okay. two-game series? I mean, series? That's, those are strikeout pitchers. Like, you talk about all of them. They all do get a lot of swing and misses. They all get a bunch of strikeouts. As much as I don't want to admit it, Garrett Cole is probably still one of the two best pitchers in the league, maybe even the best. He's just still a freak. Max Scherzer has been pitching well of late. Uh, Let's go ahead and Severino is the guy that could really throw a wrench in this whole situation, I feel like, because I don't know what to expect from him. Severino has, he spoke to the media about some issues he's had with his fastball recently. His velocity dropped a bit his last start, and they asked, you know why? And he just said no. So that's a little bit. He said no? He said no. He said, I don't know why. That's a little bit concerning here from a pitcher. And we've seen Luis Severino velocity dropping in the past kind of could be a precursor for injury. Also is for everybody, but we've seen a lot of times, especially this time of year for Severino to kind of lose, lose a little bit. Okay. I've got my number. I got my number two. I'm, I'm overstating it, but I'm, I'm expecting some big performances from the the boys at home this weekend, this week. All right, ready? Justin Verlander. Last time he faced the Yankees game one of the ALCS last year, obviously as an Astro still, 11 strikeouts that night. So Verlander's got some pretty good career numbers. Yeah, all right. So James, ready to show him? Yes. Count us down, John. All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Wow. Wow. I've got 26. James has 25. That's impressive. We we are kind of on the same wavelength a lot of the time with these. We're very rarely far off from each other. Yeah, very rare. Besides the exit velocity, which I smoked you on last series, too. (laughs) That was a bad guess. 
But no, very nice. All right, John. And for all you out there who want to get involved, remember, drop the answers underneath this tweet, not the YouTube video. It's this tweet that we're going to be counting. First person with the correct answer. We're going to go by timestamp, only fair. Got a lot of smart fans out there. This tweet is the place to submit So make those sure you answers. guys are following us on our social media, at MetsUp. And you know what? You can, even, you can even turn on notifications so you know when the tweet goes out. That way you can be first to respond with your answer. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a mystery ball giveaway, but it, it could be somebody good. I, you know, it's the official podcast of the team. Keep that in mind. Yeah, we've already given out the P. Alonzo ball this year. We had a really cool one to give away if anyone was exact for the Brave series. So even if you're not a Mets fan, you're probably going to want this baseball. So yes. don't be afraid to tweet at us. All right, John. Yep. Hey, ooh, thank exactly. you for doing it, John. Appreciate it. All right, let's go ahead and preview that Subway series. Of course, going to feel a little bit different because there's no Aaron Judge on the Yankee side, no Pete Alonso on the Mets side. So two of the big sluggers will not be in the lineup for both teams. But still a lot of good players around. Yankees are playing some decent baseball. I don't know what they're doing right now with the Red Sox on Sunday night baseball, but they're uh they're like in first or second place. They're they're playing well in the in the uh, AL East and they're a very good team. We know that. Yeah, they're behind the Rays of course because the Rays are just the the juggernaut of all juggernauts. You're right. Yankees are also still at the time of recording this, they're winning two to one against the Red Sox in sixth inning as we shoot, but they're also still four and a half game, three and a half games behind the Orioles, who are also seem to be a bit of a juggernaut already. Right. But the Yan- and they're only game ahead of the Blue Jays, so that's a very, very tightly contested AL East right now. And every single game that both the Mets and the Yankees play right now is important. But even the midst the Yankees lineup right now is full of guys like Billy McKinney, Jake Bowers, Willie Calhoun. They're still playing good baseball. Dude, a lot of- Billy no. bombs. I know. I'm excited to see Billy Bonds yeah. again. I'm, I mean, I didn't say those guys were bad, but I'm saying their names are not ones you'd expect from the Yankee lineup in June. No, and, of course, of course. Yeah, and the Yanks are doing a lot of this right now in the backs of some good starting pitching. We talked about Garrett Cole being out there every fifth day, being amazing again. We're going to see him and Severino. We're not going to see Domingo Herman, but he's been a marvel this year once again, just throwing that hammer with his sinker over and over again. And Clark Schmidt, who turned a really bad April to what was a pretty okay May. So you're your Gamecock buddy right there. Yes. But this Yankees team... They just, they're going to throw a lot at you. They still have a, mid, a heart of the order of Glaber Torres, Anthony Rizzo, Giancarlo Stanton, which is very, very fearsome. We're going to see local kid Anthony Volpe at this game. Probably a lot of the Mets fans' first exposure to him, besides for the Yankee fan friends yell, yelling about them, about how good Volpe they think he is. But um, that's going to be funny to see. I know we have one of our buddies, Alex. He's uh, Mr. Volpe, his urologist, which is pretty <laughs> hilarious. Local guy from Jersey. But I know this Yankees team... The Yankees team doesn't look like Yankees teams you guys probably know, but they still have a lot of ways to beat you. 100%. Jake Bowers has been a guy, I think you mentioned him too, who's just been like hot for the Yankees because they find like one or two left-handed hitters a year that have just been kind of floating around in AAA, 4A players. And because of that short porch in right field, they make them useful. Willie Calhoun being another one of them. Although he did get hit in live BP today against Carlos Rodon in the hand. And I think he's missed the game tonight because he got hit in the hand. So he's in a little bit of pain there. That's that's pretty funny, honestly. We're Jake also Bauer missing also... local boy Harrison Bader too, because he's on the IL again. He just went on the IL again, and he was hitting really well. He just yeah. went back on the IL. Harrison Bader. That was that was a shrewd trade the Yankees made last year. A lot of Yankees fans kind of flipped out about that because Yankees fans are even somehow more reactionary than Mets fans, which is really <laughs> hard to do. But I remember that trade happened. When we were on the bus too last year, going down or the train going down to DC. We're like, wow, the Yankees traded Jordan Montgomery for Harrison Bader. That's weird. And Montgomery's like what he's always been, which is a guy who's just like fine. And Harrison Bader has like power speed defense combo that not many other players in baseball can match but he's not playing i want to talk about how good jake bowers was this year in triple a because i remember showing this to you like early in the year like i don't care jake bowers whatever i said yeah i stand by that 
Yeah, Jake Powers in 20 games at AAA, 90 plate appearances, had 20% walk rate, 18% strikeout rate, nine home runs in 21 games, 90 plate appearances, and 304, 448, 797 slash. 797 slugging in AAA. <laughs> On base percentage was like 14, 1,300. Yeah, I mean, it, James, the Yankees apologist here over here. He loves the Yankees. I'm not a Yankee apologist, but I mean, sometimes I think people like overreact to what the Yankees used to be compared to what they are now. What the Yankees are now is kind of this like shrewd, we're not going to spend a ton of money in the wrong Ish. places team that develops these guys who are like on the fringes of most rosters and turns them into major league caliber players. Like that started with the Urshela thing a few years ago, and they like find ways now to get these just these weird guys who hang around the league and like turn them into regulars. Like the fact that Willie Calhoun and Jake Bowers are regulars in this team right now, those guys are from the fancy baseball graveyard in 2016, <laughs> 2017 as guys who are like, Oh, good exit velocities, good walk rates. Like they're going to be something. And the fact they're both lefties getting stuff out of the Yankees right now is amazing. And they also have done some cool things with this bullpen. One guy who I wish was playing. Cause he's been one of my favorite leaders in baseball this year. Who's not going to be a player named Ian Hamilton. He's strong this, man, strong man. And he invented his own pitch. He's of Spanish descent, yeah, and he has a pitch that combines a slither with a changeup. He calls it the slambio, similar to the word cambio in the Spanish language. I've heard some people call it the slambio because we try to Americanize that word, yeah. but it's from Spanish descent, changeup, cambio, slambio. It's a crazy unique pitch. My shout-out friend Alex Iser, the Fangraphs writer that I've talked about and we hung out with last week. He wrote a cool article about the slambio a few weeks ago, but Ian Hamilton's not going to be in the series, but Yankees back into the bullpen is wild. Clay Holmes is back to being pretty good. Michael King is really good. Yeah. Uh, Wandy Peralta has been de- he's the Yankee some Yankee fans call him Magic Wandy which is kind of a hilarious <laughs> that's kind of a good he, nickname he gets yeah. it everyone gets that really well Ron Marinaccio is a good Italian boy he's going to be back Tom's River New thing. Jersey Tom yeah. Ron Marinaccio your friend Tommy Canley's back he got a save the other night for the Yankees which is pretty wild after yep. all after everything has gone through these last few years this Yankees team is not like the Yankees teams you guys know and remember from like the 2010s even the early 2000s they do a lot of different things that seemed something more like the Cleveland Guardians and Milwaukee Brewers would be doing and throwing at you, but they supplement that with like four or five guys that make $30 million a year. Luckily, one of them is not playing in the series, the best one, but it's a very interesting roster that Yankees, the modern Yankees have. Yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're, they're a good baseball team. Right now, the Mets are not playing very good baseball. As much as we need to like win every game, I really would love to just take two from the Yankees. I'd love it so badly. How funny is it? We've we've gone on this podcast for forty five minutes now. We have barely talked about the Mets. <laughs> we really barely. haven't at all. We are trying. I mean, we, there wasn't much to talk about. There wasn't much to talk no. about. We know that. And I'm kind of just hoping with the Subway Series right now because it's going to be packed house two nights. Yes, you got Scher- Scherzer Verlander. I'm hoping that this is just like the shot in the arm this team needs. Like this is just a, a, a B12 shot for every all 26 guys in that dugout and all the coaches, everyone in there. Everyone just gets a little invigorated. Everyone gets that energy, and you can kind of just try and take this through a tough stretch of baseball the Mets are about to have right now with with just the Astros going to be on the schedule, the Cardinals who are always just a pain in the ass, the Brewers who gave us trouble early in the season but also just got swept by the A's. We're gonna, we we, we got we to gotta stack some good series together right here, and it's going to start this week against the Yankees. Yep, the boys will be at the stadium having a lot of fun, hopefully. The atmosphere should be incredible. Subway Series is always a ton of fun, regardless of how the teams are playing. It's always just like very close, I feel like, very competitive. Super excited to get back to the stadium. It's It's been a minute, like John told us. Anything else to talk about here, or just let's just beat the Yankees? How about that? That's how we can end it. Beat the Yankees. Get to the ballpark, beat the Yankees. Get to the ballpark, beat the Yankees. Guys, thank you so much for listening and watching this episode of the Mets Up podcast. Remember to follow us on all our social media at Mets Up. Subscribe to the New York Mets YouTube channel and download and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever it is. Just, just give us a review. Give us a rating. We do appreciate it. James, where's your Twitter? James underscore Shiano.
and I'm at GiraffeNeckMark with a C. You can see it on the screen if you're watching the YouTube video. That's your incentive to watch. Thank you guys so much, and we will catch you after the Subway Series. Please win, please. <laughs> Peace out, guys. See you next time.